Well, we're going to finally come down to the conclusion of the whole matter. Been going through the book of Ecclesiastes, looking at life under the sun, life without God, seeing how choices have consequences, how that choices apart from God lead to emptiness, vanity, wickedness. And then as he comes to the close of the book, Solomon has challenged young people to give their lives to the Lord while they are young. He's emphasized the importance of preaching, and now he sums it all up with these words in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verses 13 and 14. Ecclesiastes 12, verses 13 and 14, Solomon ends with these words. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. So we're going to look at two simple points. First of all, we're going to see the duty of man the duty of man, and then secondly, the judgment of God. Christian, you and I need to fear and obey God. All this book, 12 chapters, just to get to this conclusion, not just to this conclusion, to come to this fantastic conclusion that really sums up all of what life is all about. So let's ask the Lord for his guidance, please. Father, thank you for this study. And now as we conclude, Lord, to help us to remember that our simple duty is to fear you and to keep your commandments. So teach us to do so tonight, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Fear God and keep his commandments. Now we all know when we think of the word fear, our world uses fear in a different way than what the biblical fear of God means. We think of fear as a phobia, as a, a I'm scared of, I am afraid of these things, you know, whether it be the dark, spiders, clowns, whatever. People have fears, some of them quite irrational, but they're fears nonetheless. I am glad that that's not what God means when he says to fear him, but is a reverential awe of who he is. I remember growing up as a boy, I feared my dad. I wasn't scared of my dad, but I had a healthy respect of dad. I did not want to disappoint dad. I had the fear of shaming the family name. Boy, you know that? You, that doesn't seem to be taught to young people anymore. Remember when we were younger? You know, they, your dad or you would say your last name and say, you know, we cores don't do that thing. And I'm like... Well, that's not what I've heard, but anyhow. <laughs> Rumor has it the two brothers split and one changed his name, moved to Colorado, and makes a lot of money now, so I don't know, but that's one of, one of the theories of the cores. Anyhow. But uh, you dig into the family closets and you find a lot of skeletons there. But anyhow, the point being is you still don't want to shame the family name. It was drilled in your head as a child. Should have been anyhow. But I had a fear of letting dad down or fearing the consequences when I would do wrong. Because while my dad was a very loving dad, he was also a very strict disciplinarian. So the time that I got escorted to the car, we went to a Christian school, the principal escorted me to the car to tell my mother that I would not be quiet. I went by James then. Sounds so formal, doesn't it? James would not be quiet during study hall. 
No, because there was something to say. And we have a problem with him. Well, mom told dad when dad got home. Not a good night. There were other times. I did not get in trouble the time I flipped the principal over my shoulder, though. That's a true story. Our principal used to like to joke around with people. And my dad and I would wrestle. Now, my dad is my size. And I was a real thin guy at the time. And we would wrestle. Well, the principal comes up behind me, joking around. I had no idea who it was, but he puts me in a headlock. And so I'm just sitting there like, I don't know who this is. So I just go, shoomp. And I'm like, oops. <laughs> I didn't get in trouble for that one. But there's other things I did get in trouble with. And I tell you this to tell you I was not a good boy. Although my mom will tell you I was now. But that's because I had an older brother who was worse. So, <laughs> But I feared dad. I did fear dad that day too. But I never got in trouble for that one. Plenty of other things. The time I chased my brother with the uh, two by four. I got in trouble for that one. He chased me down with the tractor. Tried running me over. We were bad kids. Good thing Dad put a fear in us. Because <laughs> we would have been even worse. <laughs> but anyhow, you get the point. So, do you and I, Christian, fear letting God down, if you will? Now, I am glad God's not a mean ogre. There are times when he will correct us when we need to be, but I'm glad he's quick to forgive, aren't you? But the fear of the Lord is clean. Hold your place here in Ecclesiastes. Come with me back to Psalm 19. And this psalm has quite a few characteristics of the Word of God. But Psalm 19 and verse 9, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Now the fear of the Lord, when you look at this whole poem, starting at verse 7, which we sing many times, the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the statutes of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the judgments of the Lord. What are all those referring to? His word. Yes, it's, it's all encompassing of the word of God. Now, it's interesting. When we think of the word, we think of it as commandments and testimony and statutes. And, but interesting, in that whole thing, he put the fear of the Lord is clean. Fearing God, obeying his word is going to be having a cleansing effect on us, is it not? You know, when we obey God, we turn away from sin. We stop those sinful practices. We get rid of those life-dominating sins, those habits that were destroying us. It's clean. It's pure. We think on things that are pure, not on things that are impure. The fear of the Lord is wisdom, Job 28:28, And... Unto man, he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. Having a proper fear and respect and awe of who God is, is wisdom. Departing from evil is understanding. So who is it that runs to the wickedness? It's the fool, the one who's not fearing God. If you want true wisdom, fear the Lord and ask Him for wisdom. I am glad in the book of James, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth all men liberally and abradeth not. I'm glad God gives wisdom when we ask for it. 
You know, I am almost 49 years old, and I'm glad my dad is still alive because there's still times I pick up the phone and say, hey, dad. And I know some of you dads here have the same thing because I've been with you when your children call, hey, dad, what do you think about? You know, it still happens to me, and I'm glad it does. I'm glad God does always have the right answer, aren't you? The fear of the Lord is to be taught to our children. Psalm 34, 11, Come, you children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Not only teaching Bible stories, but how it applies to their lives and God's expectations of them. Listen, we have to combat the humanism that is being indoctrinated into our children hours and hours a week. So the teachers are getting them, what, seven, eight hours a day, and then mom and dad... After they've done their homework and feed them and everything else, have, have just a few hours with them. They come to church for, if they show up to all services, maybe four hours a week. It's hard to combat what's being put in their heads all the time. And this is why Sunday school teachers, it's important. Yes, we have curriculum to teach us Bible stories, but it's important to get the practical application. And I tell parents this too, as you're teaching your children the Word of God, it's, uh, it's important they understand how it applies to them. Now, when you're dealing with five and six-year-olds, your applications are going to be very basic. Okay, You're not going to sit there and get into real deep theology with them. But as they become teenagers, it should be deeper and more understanding of the principles of God's Word and how it's applying to everyday life. They should be able to understand it more. The fear of the Lord also hates evil. Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy, and the evil way, and the froward mouth do I hate, God says. Proverbs 16.6 by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. You know, Christian, you and I should develop an actual hatred of evil things. Now, not the evil doers. And I know we hear the say, saying said many times, hate the sin, love the sinner. Well, there is a lot of truth to that. We should absolutely hate sin. We should hate the fact that it destroys. We should hate the fact that it ensnares, that, it is, uh, that those that do not come to Christ as Savior, their sin is going to take them to uh, Christless hell, that sin destroys families, that sin, sin leaves people a, a wreck in their life, and all the wickedness that comes along with sin, we should absolutely despise it. And we should hate it just as much in our own lives. You see, we tend to hate everybody else's sin, but somehow justify our own. But when we see that sin in our lives, it should disgust us. Because a proper fear of God and understanding His holiness, we're going to see our sinful selves. Again, think of Isaiah chapter 6. As Isaiah sees the Lord and sees His righteousness and sees His holiness, what's Isaiah then all of a sudden say of himself? Woe is me. I am a man unclean, a man of unclean lips. I dwell among a unclean people. He understood his own wickedness once he saw the holiness of God. But too often when we start thinking way too highly of ourselves, it's because we don't have a proper view of the holiness of God. And we live in a whole society that's wanting to tell you all about your self-worth. You know the truth is, we got way too much understanding of our self-worth. 
Now, I'm not saying we should walk around thinking we're absolutely worthless because I do have value in the fact that God loved me enough to send his son, Jesus Christ, to die for me. But I need to stop thinking that all the goodness is within me. You know, oh, there's a little bit of good in everybody. Well, that's not what my Bible says. Well, they're too good to have done that. Well, Paul says in me, in my flesh, is no good thing. We need to understand how vile and wicked our own hearts are. And the only goodness we have is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So we see the fear of the Lord is clean. It is wisdom. It is to be taught to our children. It hates evil. And then it also prolongs days. Proverbs 10, 27, The fear of the Lord prolongeth days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. Proverbs 14, 27, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. Proverbs 19, 23, The fear of the Lord tendeth to life, but he and he that hath it shall abide satisfied. He shall not be visited with evil. Now, yes, I understand there are righteous people People who have truly feared God, who have died earlier than what we think they might have should have died. But the tendency is for those that are following God tend to live longer lives than those who don't. Again, sin destroys, and sin destroys life early. But it's interesting, the last verse that I read, and he that hath it, the fear of the Lord, shall abide satisfied. I do find, no matter what age, that those that truly have a fear of God are satisfied with what God has given them. We live in a world of gimme, gimme, gimme. I don't have enough. I need more. Whatever my neighbor has, I need one too. I deserve better because this is what the world teaches us. And we have families. Now, I understand the economy in which we live. It is extremely hard to live off of one income. I'm not sitting here bashing any family that has to have, you know, more than one income. But here's the problem. Sometimes I think if we would sit down and evaluate, and if we would learn to do without instead of having to have everything and to put everything on a credit card and to be up above our ears in debt, because we have to have all the toys that we need them in right now, instead of waiting till tomorrow, maybe we wouldn't be in such a situation that we are in, because we're never satisfied with what we have. We always got to have more, got to have more, got to have more. What's wrong with being satisfied with the things you have? I'll be honest with you, most of us Americans have way too much stuff. And I think the city of Havelock is proof of that. You know what keeps growing here? The one business keeps moving into town is more storage bins, more storage sheds. I'm sitting there thinking, we have more storage bins in town than we do have houses. How many do you all need? A couple new ones being built, and they'll be filled up. It's absolutely incredible. Another point about the fear of the Lord is that it is a choice. Proverbs 129, For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of of the Lord. So I want you to think about that. It's not some gift that God bestows on you. It is a choice you make that I am going to have a proper reverence, a proper awe of who God is. But in order to get that proper reverence and proper awe of who God is, you need to spend time with God and his word in order to know more about him. 
And the more you learn about him, the more of the proper fear of him you will have. Because Solomon says, all of life without God is emptiness, is vanity, is chasing soap bubbles, it's worthless. So the whole conclusion is to fear God and, number two, keep his commandments. Now, they kind of go hand in glove. If you have a proper respect, a reverence of who God is, then are you not naturally going to want to keep his commandments? So keeping the commandments of God. A couple things about the commandments of God. First of all, they are to be taught. Exodus 24, 12, And the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me into the mount, and be there, and I will give thee the tables of stone and a law and commandments which I have written, that thou mayest teach them. Dads, it's responsibility of dads in homes, it's responsibility of pastors and churches, it's responsibility of the Sunday school teachers and churches, and it's responsibility of each of us as a Christian to teach others the commandments of God. While the world is trying to tear down the commandments of God and has succeeded in our country to remove the Ten Commandments from the courthouses, now, when we have taken out the absolute truth of God's Word, what is left to determine what is right and wrong? The ever-changing opinions of men. I am thankful, Christian, that you and I have absolutes. That God has said, thou shalt not, and thou shalt. God rewards obedience to his commands. Le Leviticus 26, 3 and 4. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, then I will give you rain in due season, and the land shall yield her increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. God rewards obedience. We see that all throughout Scripture, do we not? God rewards obedience. Simply obey. We teach the children, trust and obey. We teach the children, obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. And we spell it O-B-E-D-I-E-N-C-E. -E -E. The commandments of the Lord are pure. Again, going back to Psalm 19, another way in which we're looking at the Word of God. Psalm 19, verse 8, the statute of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. You know, God doesn't give commands to make our lives miserable. It's like parents. Parents don't give rules to children just to make their lives miserable. Now, every child thinks that they, they do. Oh, my mom said I can't have dessert until after I eat my broccoli. She just hates me, and that's why she's doing this. She loves to make my life miserable. My dad says I actually have to finish my chores before I get my allowance. What a miserable man. He hates me so bad. Why can't he just do it for me? Right? That's what children think. Parents, did you ever have roles just because you wanted to watch your kids be miserable? If you did, don't admit it, all right? Yet. We act like such children sometime and treat God the same way. Oh, he has these roles because he wants me to be miserable. Why do I have to go to back to church? You know, we even made it easy. You don't even have to come back on a Sunday morning. Just come early. People who say, and I understand this is a lost who will say this, but 
I don't want to give up all the fun things. You know, your God requires you to be so holy and so spiritual and give up all the fun things. Well, the sin of this world was not fun. Serving Christ truly is fun. And by the way, nowhere in the Bible does it say God's ultimate goal for you is to be happy and have fun. That's nowhere in Scripture. But somehow we've adopted this whole philosophy, this whole theology, that God's desire is for me to have a wonderful, prosperous life with no problems, to have fun, enjoy life. After all, God wants me to be happy. How many have heard that phrase? That's not what he said. He said there is joy in serving him. But as we read about the persecution of Christians throughout all church history... It wasn't exactly happy times, but they had joy in their hearts because of what Christ had done for them. There's a total difference between the two. Obedience brings true joy and happiness. God's commands are for our benefit. And did Jesus not say to take his yoke upon us, that his, his yoke is easy, his burden is light? His commandments are not grievous, he said. There's true joy in obeying God. And God put the rules there for our benefit. Okay, dads, moms, you had a rule in your house, I'm sure. Don't touch the oven because it's hot. Of course, we all had a little boy who had to prove that the oven was hot, right? Don't play in the middle of the street. It's not good for your health. Although my dad used to tell me, why don't you go walk the yellow line, see how far you get. And mom would be like, no, don't. But, you know, those... Rules were for our benefit, were they not? Your mom didn't tell you, don't touch the oven just because she was trying to be cruel, because she knew that that good apple pie inside of there, if you touched it, you know, you'd somehow get the flavor of it in your hand or something. I don't know. I mean, no, she knew it was hot and she knew it wasn't good for you. Your dad told you not to go play in traffic because he probably didn't want to see you splatted on the ground. It was good for you. So does not God not give us the rules and the commandments he gives us for our benefit? Then it should make sense to simply obey. And when we obey God, we will be obeying God-given authority, which means children will be obeying their parents. I'll tell you, sometimes watching children with parents and parents sitting there, now Johnny, I said, to stop. Now I'm going to count the three and all this. And Johnny's sitting there just telling off mom and dad and everything else. I'll tell you what, I know most of you probably had a father like mine. You'd find yourself waking up sometime next week if you talk bad mom and dad like that, right? When we obey God, we obey the God-given authority of parents, of pastors. Now, it's interesting. As I said, I was talking to my friend in Nevada and growing up, and most some of you know what I, of what I talk of spiritually abusive churches. He grew up in a spiritually abusive church. And it's interesting because the church he is pastoring now had a spiritually abusive pastor. And what is a spiritually abusive pastor? Basically one who's self-serving and doing it for as a dictator. And we, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. But there are those men who abuse the position that God has given for manipulating others to do whatever they say they ought to do. For instance, there are some churches where people can't even 
buy a house or buy a car without talking to their pastor first. You go talk to God about that. Okay, it's not my responsibility. Now, if you want counseling and financial principles, or you want me to pray with you and ask God's wisdom on it, that's, I'd be more than happy to do that, but it's not my place to pick out your car. But when a pastor is trying to truly be the example and set the example for others to follow, then the congregation has a responsibility of following the example. Government. Unless government contradicts God's word, we have the responsibility of obeying government. April 15th is coming very quickly. We have the responsibility of paying taxes. Don't be as the one preacher who thought he could get away without paying his taxes and landed himself in jail. Because guess what? Despite what the public's going to tell you, because I've been told this, well, you shouldn't have run for commissioner because you don't know what it means to pay taxes. You preachers don't pay taxes. I would love for that to be the truth. Sometimes I think there are certain roads, especially when I was out west, you know, they have 75, 80 miles an hour on some of those roads. I still think this road is way too straight, way too good a road to only be going 80 miles an hour. You guys agree? Right? And there's even some roads around here. It's like 55. This is ridiculous. Lake Road here, 35. Well, I understand because there's houses. But, you know, I think a car should reasonably go 55 between here and the stop sign. But I did not make the rules. Praise God for cruise control. Keep myself out of trouble. Employers. Is that not a God-given authority? Well, I'm not going to do that because it's not in my job description. You know how arrogant that statement is? If your employer and you have made a contract that you will work and they're going to give you a paycheck, then it really doesn't matter what the employer tells you to do, you do it. I love the parable Jesus gives of the man who went out and hired and contracted with the workers the first of the day, and then he goes back out throughout all the day, and he never actually says a contract with them of how much he's going to pay, pay him for the rest of all the ones he hires. And then when he goes to pay him, he starts with the ones that only worked an hour, and he pays them a penny. And so the people who he hired for a penny at the beginning of the day are thinking, oh, I'll get more. But when they come up, he only gives them a penny, and they're like, how fair is that? He said, what is it to you what I paid them? You contracted with me for a penny. And yet everybody's like, oh, that's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. It's called life, friend. Life is not fair. I do not read anywhere in the scripture where God said, I created life to be fair. Right? And so it doesn't matter if the employer gives a guy who worked a whole lot less than you the same wage that he gives you. You said you agreed to that wage. Be happy with what you make. But you know what the problem is? People aren't. I had it happen to me several times working. When I worked at uh, People's Drug that became CVS, actually we started out as Ray and Derek, then became People's, then became, in three years, we changed the name three times. So I started with them when I was 16, making, I think it was five and a quarter an hour back then. So young people, don't tell me about $15 an hour. <laughs> I think it was five and a quarter I was making. <clears throat> and then they... No, it might have actually been before that because they upped, anyhow, Pennsylvania upped the minimum wage. So the new hires, now by that time, by the time I was 18, 
I had had several raises. But back then, to get a, you know, 15, 25 cent raise was a big deal, right? Anybody remember those days? Getting that was a big deal. Well, the minimum wage was going to go up like a dollar, let's just say, whatever it was. It was going to go up a dollar. Well, my raises over the last several years, I had just gotten up to this dollar amount, and then they hire a guy fresh off the street, knew nothing about sales, and he's making the exact same thing that I did. You know what my first thought was? Not fair. Of course it's not fair. Why didn't they up my wages to equate, to equate for, you know, the difference for all the work that I've done all this time? But I have since learned that was a very childish attitude because the truth is I had agreed to that wage and I had gotten raises since then. So technically, I am better than, you know, what I had agreed to originally even though this person just getting hired is making the exact same thing. It happened again at Walmart, too, where Walmart changed their minimum wage, and now people getting hired were making the same thing. And by that time, I learned my lesson. It's called life. Deal with it. I mean, what are you going to do? Quit and start again for the exact same thing you're making already? <laughs> Which brings us to verse 14, the judgment of God. For God shall bring every work into judgment. God's work is complete. In 1 Corinthians 3, which we've examined not too long ago in talking about the judgment seat of Christ, it says that we will be judged for every work we've done. And, and again, you know, that idea of it's a complete judgment. And let me go ahead and turn there real quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 through 15. For other foundation can no man that lay that is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. But if any man's work should be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. God's judgments are True and righteous. I say that again. God's judgments are true and righteous. Nobody can accuse God of not having a righteous judgment. Nobody can say God's judgments are wrong. John 5.30 I can in my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge. My judgment is just because I seek not mine own will, but the will of my Father which has sent me. So God's judgment is always just. Every man will stand in judgment. Now we've talked about there are different judgments for different people, but everyone will stand before God as judge. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Now the fact that God knows already all the secret things, and that God is already going to judge all things, then should that not be another motive to fear God and he keep his commandments? So as we come to the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon ends with this wonderful conclusion, a reminder that man has the duty to fear and obey God. God is the judge of all. He is the righteous judge. He is the just judge, and all of us will stand before him as our judge. So let us serve him. Let us be faithful and fearing him 
and obeying him and not waste the time as Solomon had done in vanity and vexation of spirit. Because again, the vanity and vexation of spirit is life under the sun, life apart from God. But with God is joy, peace, and blessing. 